Hello to all the listeners out there. Thank you to those of you who tune in episode after episode. And if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. For this episode, let's find out what's the tease with renowned vintage photographer and producer, Neil Kendall. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We are so happy to have you on the What's the Tease stage, Neil. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always glad to spread the burlesque gospel. Oh, and that you have been doing. Is it that you, would you consider yourself a disciple of burlesque? Do you know, maybe I would be the ultimate fan. I don't know, but it's become such a huge part of my life, of my social life, my career. You know, I have such a, a crazy long history with it too, right? Because for mm -hmm. me, it all started way back when I was like 21, back in 1987. And I had mm -hmm. the ultimate burlesque kind of voyage because I went to meet Jenny Lee, the Bazoom Girl, and Dixie Evans, who both set up the Burlesque Hall of Fame as we know it today. So, oh my gosh, that, that was incredible for me. And I, I knew a little bit about burlesque, but of course, mm -hmm. that was at a time when there was no internet and stuff. So since that time, it has been, yeah, I have lived and breathed that world. Well, at least not um, internet as we know it today. When you embarked on your photographic journey in the mid-90s, did you know out of the gates what kind of photography stylistically you, were, you wanted to pursue? Oh, God, yeah. I used to work for all these, like, fashion magazines, and they were always saying, you know, shooting editorial. And this mm -hmm. was in London, and they were forever saying to me, oh, your stuff's too vintage, it's too, you know, because I was like, oh, I want to get all these male models, and I, I want to do a story about Botox, and they're having fillers, and it's going to be this crazy ballroom, you know, so I'd have all these crazy concepts, right? And then I wanted to have showgirls in the shoots and things, and, and of course for them it was like, mm -hmm. no, we want clean utilitarian fashion you know so so to answer your question i mean i just had a vision right from the get-go of creating really beautiful sets with really great vintage light and yeah that aesthetic was always with me and thank god mm -hmm. now you know flashing forward to 2022 we've got instagram you know and all these mm -hmm. networks for artists like me that i too can reach out to other people you know that have a vision and then of course people come to me too yeah, that is incredible, sort of how the advent of the internet and, of course, social media has activated the artist's reach, rather, globally. You know, going back to when I was shooting fashion, it was like, I always felt like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one, or I'm somehow getting this all wrong. But in fact, I was just sort of pursuing my own vision, the stuff that I really like to shoot, you know, and it just so happened that maybe everybody else wasn't ready for that, or, <laughs> or certainly in that world, you know. Uh, but mm -hmm. then I started doing stuff, you know, this is when I was in London, I'd, I'd get these amazing models and I'd find showgirls and I'd be out in Camden Town and find these really, really cool people, kind of like rockabillies and things that I wanted to shoot with. And, and that's how it all really began, because, you know, back then, um, certainly in the UK, there wasn't a burlesque scene. There was like a vintage scene. There was like a rockabilly mm -hmm. scene. Um, but again, with the advent of, of people being online, like the mid '90s onwards, that that became um, that sort of was self-forming from that point, you know. But yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it was burlesque. What you know, in the in the early to mid '90s, people just didn't know what it was. 
And I mean, like your timing, actually, when you started your photographic journey, it's kind of serendipitous as like the late 90s and early 2000s was when burlesque was experiencing its revival of sorts. So like how aware of the movement were you in those early stages of your career? So, you know, I wasn't. I mean, now, you know, when I, you know, I'm good friends with Dirty Martini, you know, and, and we were saying mm-hmm. the same thing because, you know, she would, like me, she would pick up old pinup magazines and she would, there was a great video label called Something Weird uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. And they used to have all these old fashioned burlesque reels and things. So you'd see like Betty Page and Tempest Storm, all those sort of people. But, um, yeah, there was like the Velvet Hammer, which was happening in Los Angeles. There was a few mm-hmm. kind of things in London at the time. But burlesque wasn't a movement. You know, it was like a museum piece that was, oh, yeah, that's all strippers from the 50s. You know, there was no real uh, momentum behind it. And I think what there was were like pockets of people maybe in New York, in Los Angeles, a little bit in mm-hmm. London, too. But there wasn't like a scene that you could gravitate towards, you know. Okay. So, I mean, like for 20 years now, you've been shooting genuine vintage portraits using techniques taught to you by 1950s British pinup uh, photographer Harrison Marks. What of yourself is prevalent in your work that distinguishes you from yesteryear photographers like Cecil Beaton and Horst? Oh my gosh, what a great question. Uh, And what an honour to be even mentioned in the same breath as people like that. I kind of think... Um, it's it's the posing, right? Very often it's the set builds for one thing. I mean, that that is totally me. I, I totally get inspired by people like that, like Cecil Beaton, for all your listeners, was this great guy that did these really fabulous kind of um, gay photographer that did these really beautiful sets with royalty and things back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things inspire me. But I think what is purely me is my love of, like, kitsch of B-movies and things. So... You know, a great example of that right now, I'm building like a 1930s sideshow with two women and, and a knife thrower's wheel and things. So that's all cool. kind of like um, a part of my own sort of fantasy and something that I really love creating. But yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like I get to live out my own little dreams and fantasies in my studio by creating all these little sets and things that are very... Um, I guess cinematic, and that's another departure from other photographers, is the way I like things. And as you say, I had this incredible privilege to shoot um, and learn with this guy called Harrison Marks, who was in Soho in the 50s, and he worked with all these kind of like 50s um, pen-ups and things like Pamela Green. Uh, so that that kind of got me on that road. But definitely the inspiration of cinema, the, the set build, the whole way those things are lit. It's a really, really complicated lighting setup that I use um mm-hmm. so it's it's a very sort of like technical setup as well a very precise way of working um and then i guess the other thing as well is and i always say this to people who don't know me is that you know when people come to the studio oh my gosh it is so much fun the champagne corks popping and <laughs> i kind of want you know i'm acutely aware of what it is like to be in front of a stranger without your clothes on for one thing do you know what i mean it's so mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. need to create an atmosphere for someone that is like completely relaxing that there's trust there that they feel secure with you um mm-hmm. so that i guess is an, is another thing as well like i have a great sense of humor when i'm working and i, I want the students to feel really um really great fun do you know what i mean that that's a that's a really yeah. positive that people sort of come back with from the shoots is oh my god i love that i was dreading it because i don't like this that and the other about my you know the, the all all of us have these things we don't like about our bodies and i think in a photo shoot you need to divorce yourself from all of that and just have mm-hmm. fun you know so so that's a part of it my relationship with the with the people that pose with me 
Amazing. Wow, thank you. Does having a background as a trained actor aid you in any way in your work as a photographer? Um, it does. I guess that whole thing, uh, actors hide behind masks and things in the same way that I think pen-ups can do. You know what I mean? Often you get very, very shy people that have these huge Instagram followings and they're there and they're looking incredible in their Betty Page lingerie or whatever it is. So I think having a background um, definitely, definitely gave me like a confidence to sort of to go out there and to... Um, because I've, I've worked, there's a lot of direction in um, in photography, you know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. it can be as, as precise as getting someone to move their fingernails or their, or their toes and things in the same way that a director gives actor um, direction, you know? And I think that's important to get a really great end result is, is that you, you know, I'm very, very sort of focused when I'm working and there's lots and lots of direction because I think, you know, some photographers have a person in front of them who maybe isn't used to posing and they're like, okay, give me sultry or give me a tigress or all those crazy cliches that we see. Um, Mm -hmm. But I kind of feel it's like, it's important that you have a bond and a relationship and it is a bit like a director and an actor. So certainly that background for me uh, has proved useful and beneficial. Cool. Yeah, so the elaborate and cinematic nature of the sets that you create, have you known as the Edward of burlesque? But you've also been described as an award-winning boudoir photographer. How does the ideals of boudoir translate in your setscapes? Do you know, it, 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 it can do, but it, I'll give you a great example, actually. I am just doing these really fun vintage 50s Betty Page photo shoots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it translated there because I got, this is a really cool thing, actually. I forever look at on eBay. You know, I'm a real collector of things. So my home, my studio is filled with crap you know like giant octopus <laughs> tentacles you know the works giant clamshells haunted house haunted dolls houses you know it, so that's where the edward thing um and people have described me as that that's where that comes in but that translates into the boudoir because it's the same thing you know i have these really cool 50s magazines right where it's like atomic li- living rooms and you've got models like bonnie logan and 1955 mm-hmm. wink magazine and these really cool mid-century apartments and i'm like oh my god look at that lamp or look at that amazing sofa look at that really crazy mid-century modern wallpaper you know and i then scour ebay and, and antique shops and auctions and i find all that stuff so really crazy thing with that i actually found the original betty page irving claw wallpaper um this red wow. polka dot wallpaper from an antique store in New York. It was such a great find. And he was like, yeah, we bought it from Paula Claw, who was mm-hmm. Irving Claw's system. For those listeners that wouldn't know, um, Irving Claw was um, a New York-based photographer in the 50s who didn't discover Betty Page, but he certainly made her famous. And he mm-hmm. was the one that did all the crazy bondage photos and things with her. But yeah, I lucked out and found the exact wallpaper that he'd used in his studio that was so, it was kind of dead stock wallpaper. So, yeah, I use all that aesthetics. I want things to feel really, um, really, truly authentic and truly original and truly sort of vintage when I'm working. Wow, that's so cool. And it actually is a great segue into my next question. As you mentioned, you shoot with an old style seven light setup, aiming to perfect the image in camera through lighting, posing and, of course, concept driven by your fantastical vision. You've achieved great success with this, as noted by your numerous accolades, like being voted National Vintage Photographer of the Year three years running. So as a vintage photographer, 
Why the choice to shoot on digital over film? Oh gosh, uh, it's a great question. I would love to do film. Uh, and it's purely financial. You know, if I mm -hmm. have you come into my studio, I mean, I, what have I been doing recently? I just made a crazy mermaid's cabin. Uh, so let's say I shoot three or 400 images. Um, the cost of that in terms of having film um, developed and exposed, um, you know, all of that is probably like 300 pounds or something crazy. So, so the answer to the question is totally mm -hmm. uh, prohibitive for models and things for cost. The other part of that, you know, as any photographer or anyone will tell you is that when you're working with a model and you're doing complex lighting setups, I want to see exactly in the back of my camera and in the monitor what is happening on the set you know is that light not firing over there why is it not firing is the oh my god she looks great the model but however the the legs all wonky you know so the great thing mm -hmm. of course working digitally you know for all of us is, is that um you can correct things in camera but what i would say is um you know i spoke briefly before my background was very much in um fashion photography and that was shot on medium format transparency where you mm -hmm. had to shoot polaroid it was so precise and so God, it was stressful doing that. So yes. I kind of learned that discipline. And, you know, for me, 90% of the image is getting it right at that moment. I don't honestly rely, of course, I use Photoshop, but I don't hugely rely on that as a tool. Mm. Afterwards, I will tweak things and that. But my job, I feel, as professional photographers to nail it in camera in the studio. Mm. You know what I mean? Often, And the other great thing, too, is that if I'm showing you you know, and you're in the mermaid cavern or whatever, you know, and I'm showing mm -hmm. you the work, you're kind of like, oh my God, that looks so good now. What, you know, what's he going to do with it what afterwards? You know, so it's a great thing as you're working showing models because then they're like, oh my God, I look amazing. That's great. I, mm. I didn't think I was going to like the other, the other people that are posed for you. That People say that a lot, you know. So the great thing is then it's a huge confident booster that the person that you're working with knows they're doing a great job and the image is looking great. Fantastic. That makes sense. Also, I love the fact that you've created a mermaid's cabin because obviously that's where they live. You know, they're not just like floating around in the sea. I know, you know what? This is the funniest thing, right? Because I've got all this like literally like giant bits of seaweed and there's a huge octopus. It's, it's on my Instagram right now at Neil Ness Candle. But mm -hmm. there's this huge octopus tentacle that I had. I, I worked on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in a show years ago. And they had all these great props. And at the end, the crew of the Nautilus got attacked by dislocated octopus tentacles that were all bendy. It was so funny. Mm -hmm. And um, and I got to keep them after the, after the show, after the gig. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, these are going to come in really... Lord knows why I thought they would come in handy, but <laughs> but they have. Brilliant. <laughs> exactly. One man's discarded octopus tentacle is another man's treasure. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so you have photographed some high-profile artists in your converted Sunday school studio in Chester, England. The likes of Dirty Martini, on her personal request, Dieter Von Tees, and of course, Violet Chachki. I want to know, how much do you take into account the brand aesthetic of these individuals when you're creating a scene to place them in? Ooh, um, do you know, it's, it depends because, uh, you know, with Dieter's stuff, that was all her in the champagne glass and everything, and that was for like a tour, so... She's mm -hmm. super, super, super precise. And of course, is um, you know, she's a, a superstar of, of our world mm -hmm. of burlesque. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, when you get like drag is a whole different thing, right? Because 
you know, there's a there's a lot of retouch and things. Not necessarily Violet because she's stunningly beautiful, but mm -hmm. you know, there is a, there's a whole thing that you you have to go that extra kind of level for those kind of people that are celebrities and things, and you want. You want to nail it because it's their reputation. It's it's your reputation too. So, mm -hmm. um, but I can say those three. I mean, those are three completely different personalities, but they're all mm -hmm. amazing, amazing, um, amazing people to sort of work with, of course. So yeah, it's it's sort of and and then also at that level, you know, of fame and sort of following and everything. You always have it's a bit more sort of like time pressure than things, but then. It's incredible. Someone like Dita, she inherently knows, even if she's in something as uncomfortable as a giant martini glass, because they are not the easiest things to pose in, believe me. Um, yeah. But she will know the arc <laughs> of the foot, the exact millimetre, you know, the curve of her thigh. She is everything she's sort of got going on there. You know, she's really, really aware of, of how her body is looking and the angles and everything. So you've got the ultimate pro and dirty too. I mean, dirty and I go back a long, long way. So, uh, always great fun working with her and we, um, and Dita too, you know, we have like a, you know, there are good friendships there. Yeah. Amazing. When one reaches a certain level of notoriety, which you most definitely have, are there any artists working in your medium today who you are inspired by? Yeah, I really, really love um, people on our current sort of scene, like Zyra Lee Vanity is just amazing. She's just got a great aesthetic. Um, Lulu, the Duchess Derriere, who's the current Miss Exotic World. Um, oh, just, yes. Yeah, she's so great. And she came over And you last... did those fantastic pictures. Yeah. yeah with her. So I actually had seen her with my, my good friend Raven Noir. We were sat um, at the Let's Call of Fame and she came out and she did a spider number. And, you know, as you know, I love anything sort of Halloween related. I was like, oh my God, this mm -hmm. girl is... A... You know, I was kind of aware of her on Instagram, but... You know, it's it's a different thing seeing her perform live. So Lulu is just great because, you know, she she does a lot of her own costuming. She's got that mm -hmm. old style classic kind of bump and grind, but she has such style and such finesse, and the costuming is just sort of impeccable. Um, yeah, so it was great when she came over to England and we and we got to to work together. But I still love you know like Pearl Noir is is one of my favourites. I absolutely love her. I'm a huge fan of goofy crazy kind of acts you know like Trixie Little had the great thing with the banana a few years back that yes. would peel and then she would do like a glove peel you know and her banana was like a miniature miniature um her glove sorry was a miniature banana that came down in, in four separate strands that, you know like a proper yes. peel you know so yeah. innovation is something that always kind of and, and that's something I, I want to do with my shows as well you know that's a big big thing to me is just finding acts that are just great on stage and uh, sort of really kooky and, and bonkers like um just going back to dirty she does that great spider web thing which was an original act yes. from zarita in the 1950s where she gets caught in the spider's web and all these hands come out of the web and disrobe her and it, it's mm -hmm. so brilliant so you know I'm, I'm all for innovation yeah and of course you did the iconic um picture with her in her spider web do you know that's the first time i met her actually we were in new york at the slipper room yeah and uh and we shot that there and i actually have this incredible uh, this old eight millimeter movie camera and i shot this black and white film with her which is just incredible and then michelle lamour was there that day joe boobs was mm -hmm. there julie ls muse was there so they had this great big show that night it was really great fun so yeah yeah iconic awesome. new york performers yeah um so during the global lockdowns in 2020 many performers had to present 
the art of burlesque in video format. Um, were there any performance videos of this nature that you came across which stood out for you? I think it was a really, really hard time for performers because, um, and I'm giggling because, you know, that a lot of the stuff I was seeing, I think people, you know, performers, you know, burlesque was massively impacted, no two ways. I think people's mental health was cabbaged. The whole mm -hmm. industry was kind of brought down to its knees. So I saluted anyone who was able to provide sort of content, you know what I mean, like digital content at that time, because it's a really difficult thing to do well because ultimately if you're a performer i'm thinking if i was in my front room and i was doing some kind of um burlesque act you know you've got all your excuse my swag but all your shit around you you know what i mean like you know so i watch enough things where i'm like oh my god like seriously has she not put a throw over that sofa or you know so, so i think there was a lot of that mm -hmm. that kind of threw it for me I, I did find it was a difficult uh time to to watch things and also i was involved with a festival where it was just like it was a technical nightmare for the production team so yeah i um i saw i mean i work with a lot of different artists outside of the burlesque community and i i saw some amazing sort of digital imagery that people were doing but they were very much mm. techie kind of people i think burlesque performers you know what i mean are more used to a live experience and i think they're in mm -hmm for me is the difficulty ultimate with something like burlesque in a digital format is that you need that mc to bring an act on to bring an act off you need that amazing mm -hmm. audience reaction because that's the oxygen for a for a burlesque performer or any kind of performer you know what i mean mm -hmm. is that you want that kind of and, and when you're watching it on zoom and you're muted and you're one of you know 20 different squares or whatever you, you kind of don't get that you don't get that real sort of content but it's it was catch as catch can you know Awesome. Yeah, just of course interested because you do have that photographic eye and your work is described as cinematic snapshots. So I was just wondering, you know, what was your take on how all of that unfolded? Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was, you know, as I said, I, I just felt it was, a, it was a really difficult time for people to come up with content that looked great, that kind of honoured them as sort of artists, um, mm -hmm. but also got across the, uh, you know, one of the, you know, and, and this all connects, but, you know, a few years back, I used to kind of look at the submissions for the Miss Exotic Worlds for Burlesque Call of Fame and Boylesque mm -hmm. and you know and what you'd get is like 70 or or 80 kind of clips to watch of different performers and it was really difficult because when you see them live it's a totally different thing it has a total different energy to it and often people will be doing that in a dance studio or their front room or you know you know those things you watch when someone sends you a video and you've got like 20 heads going by because it's a live gig and someone's talking to their friend and you can hear the glasses clinking and things. So yes, yes. yeah, it, it's difficult to do it well where it looks clean, it's fresh, it's really well executed because, mm -hmm. you know, not everyone has that sort of technical capacity to sort of deliver that. Yeah, well, aren't we glad that we can see live performances oh, again yeah. and experience yes. burlesque as it's supposed to be? Yeah, it's so funny. It's almost like coming out again, you know, I kind of saw all these really cool performers you know hey you know and everyone's posting hey it's my first gig and you know and I, and I just thought I know when we had our first show which was when was that uh it was really great it was Hall was it Halloween yeah it was Halloween last year because Joe Black was there and, and naturally and <laughs> and it was so great because all the audience came up and they were so up for it and so excited and it was like 
doing it for the first time. I felt like a virgin burlesque person because everyone was just so, and the performers were so excited and yeah, just to be gigging again was like such a great, great feeling. And I, and I, you know, we're still coming out of the woods, I think a lot of us from COVID. And I think there was a huge legacy there, you know what I mean? That will take a long while for us all to get over. I don't think people can underestimate how impactful COVID was on all of us, but mm -hmm. Yeah, as you say, thank God we're coming back and we can see live stuff again. You know, it just feels so fresh. And actually, um, yeah. like a lot of things, you know, I don't know about for you, but having that break away sometimes is a good thing too. You know, it's like mm -hmm. the secret to a good relationship, I think, sometimes is actually having time apart because then you come back and you appreciate, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Makes you the heart fun and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the lockdown period, you spend some of your time transcribing your burlesque interviews with legends like Tempest Storm, Jenny Lee and Blaze Star. What is to become of this collection of stories? Great question um, and a really timely question. Um, several things like, first of all, I, I always felt like documenting those women's histories and maybe I, I've done it for like 40 or 50 performers and so many of them are on that great burlesque stage in the sky. So I, I started doing that mm. because I felt that these are untold stories. And if these women leave us, like Dixie Evans was another great person I, who's a friend of mine that I interviewed, then, you know, what happens to all their memories and things? You know, there is no legacy almost for them. So I started doing those digital recordings way back when, in the, in the late kind of like 80s, in fact. So some of it is on tape and stuff. But um, what's happening at the moment, I got approached by Netflix um, to do like a three-part documentary um, where a lot of that audio will be used as sort of narrative and our surviving legends of burlesque will, will form a part of that too. Um, wow. Yeah, so, so that's a kind of, it's, it's got like an amber light at the moment. So it is in development and it's secured mm -hmm. funding to kind of do a, a pilot of that, which is incredible. Um, so that's happening, but also I kind of feel like they, um, they're all sort of like transcribed and I'm working on, on a book with that, you know what I mean? Because I really, mm. um, there's been a lot of burlesque books out there, but what they've all tended to do is focus on their history and not necessarily given the performers a voice. And I, and I feel really mm -hmm. strongly, you know, it's, it's part of women's history. I mean, with the black performers that I've interviewed, there's a, there's a huge part of their history, which is so important. that's never been... Um, it's never been discussed before, you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, I think it's important historically and, and I really hope what I'm looking at in the future is to find a, a sort of a permanent home for those voices uh, in a museum, you know what I mean, so it's preserved for future mm -hmm. generations. Oh, wow, that's really amazing and so exciting as well. Yeah, and, and do you know what, I, I must say, I mean, a shout out, you know, whether they're heavenly bound or, or on earth, but my gosh, those women... Um, they're just, you know, I was, I was just talking to April March yesterday, who's all of 86 maybe, and she's hilarious. They all are. They, they're real rock and roll kind of kick-ass women. And, and, and you think mm. of where, you know, what's happened, especially in, in recent years with the Me Too movement and things. And I, I look to these women who were bucking against the trend, you know, in the 50s specifically, where women were supposed to bake up a pies and stay, stay behind white picket fences and they're out there stripping on stages and... Mm -hmm. You know, and I think there is there is such bravery in that. I think for any performer, especially burlesque, where you're taking your clothes off on stage, you're you're bearing a part of your your soul there, really. So that's it. So it's so been so important for me to record those stories and to have their to have their voices. You know, that's been a real privilege, and to 
to kind of make sure that doesn't die. You know, that, that would be yes. my legacy, really, when, when it's my time that, you know, I leave the world with all those amazing recordings. Oh, that's brilliant. To close us out, Neil, what exciting projects do you have in the works and where can we follow and support your artistry? Oh, well, thank you for uh, thank you for that. So you can follow me and support me definitely on my Instagram, which is Neil Nezcandle. Uh, mm-hmm. That is my most active social media platform. Uh, so I love kind of connecting with people there and chatting with people there. And yeah, so coming up, in fact, um, I have a big pride show this week. So it's so I'm I'm producing that. I have these insane Halloween shows, and I must give those a bit of a a plug because I just found out this year I'm the longest serving producer in the UK. It's been 20 consecutive years. Get take COVID out wow. of the equation. Of so 22 years so of doing those gigs. So I always do this big show at Halloween, and that's when the likes of Dirty Martini comes over. I always fly in acts, and of course I can do that again freely now, which is great. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I have the Halloween shows coming up. And do you host those in your uh, hometown of? Chester. Yeah, yeah. I have this amazing venue, which is like a 12th century desanctified church. And we go all out at Halloween, have the fog machines outside. And physically, you have to go through the graveyard to get into the church, which is hilarious. Oh, because wow. it is like stepping back into some creepy black and white 1950s B-movie. So I get mm-hmm. all the, you know, I do this annual thing in my studio, which is called the Glamour Ghouls, where every year I build a different set. So a lot of those mm-hmm. models come to the all the audience dress up so that that's a huge thing for me and that this year t- it takes about a week to build the sets and things for it so i'm mm. i'm cracking on with that and then yeah i'm working on a book project i have this netflix thing in in um, development right now so yeah it doesn't stop and what is amazing to me because i'm 55 now is that i still kind of feel like as fresh and as young as when i started doing this like 25 mm-hmm. years ago you know it still really inspires me i still love the work i love the connection with the people and and it's just so great you know that people are on board with it and they're like oh this is cool or this guy's doing really crazy shit you know i, I want to come over mm-hmm. to england and shoot with him so <laughs> yeah so it keeps me on my toes constantly and i'm so glad that that enthusiasm is still hit there all these years later it only serves to make the just burlesque as a whole more of an entity you know it all feeds into each other and your work is such a big part of what burlesque is in modern day society yeah absolutely it's really relevant and it keeps on developing and sort of recreating itself so you know i always kind of laugh because i always sort of feel that that burlesque has had more comebacks than share you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. every year people are like oh i'm you know burlesque is going to be done but no it's actually been going now you know, at least in the UK for like a good sort of 24, 25 years now. That's a quarter of a century. So, wow. yeah, it's kind of amazing. And, and what I love too, I just shout out to everyone listening that I love that there's a whole global community, you know, a whole global scene of people that are really passionate about this, that follow the performers, that are kind of, that feed into all of that, you know, and, and, and kind of subscribe to it. Because I think, you know, as you say, it is a really, really important art form and it's a really valuable and relevant art form. And I think, you know, I'm talking about creatively, politically, you know, it has still mm-hmm. something to say. So, yeah, long may that continue. Oh, indeed. And I can't think of better words to close out on. So thank you, the legendary Neil Kendall, for joining me for this episode of What's the Tease? Pleasure. Tease away.